Hello and welcome to the Green Majority Bonus Show. Tim Nash was my guest this week on the main show, so he is also my guest for the bonus show. We keep with a little bit of the vehicle theme, but we move into psychology as we're pulling from an article that was posted on Treehugger uh, about uh, someone's gra- uh, work, a PhD thesis work that was done about the relationship between cars and violence and cars and bikes and road rage and deaths and all that sort of stuff. Um a little bit of a somber uh, topic, I think, but it's one that's very important to have and one that I think is very often misunderstood. Uh, so we're very happy to have that conversation. Of course, you can uh, check the website for the email uh, for the link to the article so you can follow along. If you would like to become a member of the Green Majority, you can do that at greenmajority.ca or go to directly to Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash greenmajority. Our uh, average donation is about six bucks. Uh, we recommend uh, five or six dollars. If you can afford a little more, that would be great. Uh, every dollar you uh, give us as part of your volunteer membership goes directly into uh, providing time for me to actually produce the show. So the more members we get, the more time I can spend on the show. It's that simple. So if you're interested in that, please consider doing that. Other than that, please enjoy the bonus show. Here it comes. We are on the bonus show. Tim is also my guest for the bonus show. Thank you very much for sticking around, Tim. My pleasure. It's always fun to be here. So you have uh, still big but different shoes to fill. Uh, okay. because what we do on the bonus show, I mean, I know you've done one before, but Stefan has developed somewhat of a particular role for himself and I'll ask you to do your best to fill in. Uh-oh. One of them is that you're all, you're in charge of making sure, because I have to tag, uh, I'm obligated to tag every one of these bonus show episodes with the explicit warning just to be careful. Okay. Uh, and I don't like doing that. It's like getting in trouble for something you didn't do. <laughs> so <laughs> Stefan's job and this week, your job is to find an appropriate place to use some sort of exclamation that would, that would fulfill that, that, that warning. Okay. It, uh, the intensity is okay. up to you. Okay. You just got to drop something. I'll choose my moment carefully. Very well. And the other thing is to uh, is to be very sarcastic about my silly ideas, <laughs> which you can interpret as you prefer, in your preferred method. So okay. with that, with your job now outlined clearly for you, uh, the article that I flagged, um, which seems like it may have been pulling from a similar report that you, it, it may be an article pulling from a report that you actually just directly read the report. But regardless, you'd, you'd seem to have some knowledge of the topic area, even though you didn't see the specific article. Um, and what it was is uh, what I'm pulling from is a uh, article in Treehugger uh, called The New Study Looks at Attitudes of Drivers Towards Cyclists and It Ain't Pretty. Uh, the article is written by Lloyd uh, Alter, but it is referring to work of Tara Goddard, who actually did a PhD, PhD thesis on this uh, called Exploring Drivers' Attitudes and Behaviors Towards Bicyclists, the Effect of Explicit and Implicit Attitudes of Self-Reported Safety Behaviors. Basically, that sounds like a thesis title to me. <laughs> uh, much, much easier to read the Treehugger version, which is New Study <laughs> He says drivers are jerks towards cyclists. Fantastic. Uh, but so I'm just going to pull and I want to talk a little bit about and I, and I really feel I feel like we can back this up um, to the meta the more meta topic of the main show here Absolutely. in a few areas here. But what we're talking about is sort of the psychology of power and Correct. and the role of vehicles. And one of the things here and I'll and I'm going to randomly pull a few details out. But the, functionally, what the what it talks about is that there is a certain amount of power and status in our culture. And I think that's what was so interesting to compare to the Norway example earlier. And, and it would be very interesting if you hadn't already to go back and, and read that Norway article that I tagged on the episode. Oh yeah. I read it. Uh, uh, is the, is the, just the idea that there's a power and a status that comes with that. And with that, some implicit uh, assumption that if you're not in a vehicle, 
that you're almost asking for it and that it, and that it is your privilege as a car driver it's some sort of basic pre-thought level it just sort of comes with the territory that you have a more of a right to be on the road and that therefore people need to get out of your way and and some of these just like a lot of connections to power and status absolutely and and whatnot and um I think before we go on, I think uh, just to just to even comment on that, that that's been very much my experience, that particularly the direct correlation between the apparent value of someone's car and the degree to which they're willing to endanger my life as a cyclist. Yeah, I mean, so, OK, so I, I would I would speak about it even more broadly, which is is this concept of power and when people feel powerful and most of us in this world have experienced both situations, a where we felt powerful. Right. And be where we felt powerless. And I think it's for me, it's very clear. I'll speak from my personal experience Uh, when I'm driving a car and especially when I'm driving a big car, which, you know, is pretty rare. I don't own a car, but from time to time, I find myself driving a van or driving an SUV for whatever reason. You feel powerful. And I mean, let's be real. That's how these a lot of these cars are designed to make you feel powerful. There's a reason why the Ford F-150 looks the way that it does. It's a giant monster, right? It's, it, it does absolutely is there to project this sense of strength and power. And when you're behind the wheel, that's absolutely what you feel. Um, and so from there, it's really once we acknowledge that when you are in a vehicle – you find yourself in this sort of emotional position of power uh, that it's important to then start to examine how does that unconsciously change your behavior. And I don't – sometimes what comes out of this conversation is we get back into this fight where it's like, you know, everyone in a a, a car is an asshole and, you know, and they don't care at all about people. And no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that these unconscious biases do exist. Uh, I'm subject to them. I'm pretty sure you can admit you are. Mm -hmm. And really, like, let's be real. If we're human beings, we are subject to these types of feelings and emotions. And when you get behind a car, the bigger the car, the more powerful you feel, you – start to feel the sense of entitlement um, in that you deserve, um, you know, a, a, a bigger slice of the road. Yeah. And that it's so fascinating to me. Um, I, I bike often along Bloor, um, you know, and there's the new uh, bike lane there. And you've got it for part of it, but then also not for part of it. For non-Toronto listeners, that's one of the major sort of downtown streets. Busy, busy street. For the longest time, I would just avoid it like the plague. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. But now they've done this pilot project where part of it is a bike lane. And so on my commute home, I sort of get this little sample study of, you know, half my commute is this nice protected bike lane. The other one is not. It's a wild, wild west. But it's by far the fastest way for me to get home. And, um, and, and understanding that, you know, and even I find myself getting really frustrated by the, the smallest things and whether it's, you know, uh, uh, cars, you know, cutting me off or doing these things that when we're in transit, when we're in remote, we get frustrated, we get impatient, right? We have these emotions and then, but it's also understanding this added power dynamic between people that are in a vehicle and people that are not in a vehicle, and whether it's pedestrians or whether it's cyclists. Now, pedestrians tend to have their own space, right? And we have very strong social norms around not driving on the sidewalks, right? We kind of know that. But with cyclists and drivers, we are put into a bit of a zero-sum game where it's either my space or it's your space, and it has to be either one or the other, and, and we start to see a lot of these psychological uh, uh, games 
um, start to play out over that shared space. Yeah, and and I was trying to think of examples for myself, and and I don't even have a driver's license, and and I don't drive. But I was thinking of some. But part of the idea, part of what we're trying to talk about here, is that this isn't specific to cars. It's just that when we talk about this dynamic in the situation of cars, is yeah. is there's a lethal component, whereas in other right. examples there may not be. But right. a common example, or just an off the top of the head example that re- applies to me, where I can say this is I've I was on the other side of this. Yeah. Was I remember I almost never eat at restaurants, and so when I do, it tended to be an occasion, right? It's uh, somebody's, you know, somebody's birthday or you know it's usually an event and so generally you know i'm not known for dressing up i'm usually well known as someone who's persistently dresses pretty casually um but you know and if i go out for dinner i'm gonna i'm gonna try and look my best and being in this line and there was this fancy restaurant well fancy by my standards restaurant and we were all sort of dressed up for somebody's birthday or whatnot i'll keep it vague um and there was a bunch of people and and most and that was sort of the social expectation at the restaurant everybody was sort of nicely nicer dressed and when we got there there were some folks that were dressed how i normally dress which is pretty casually in fact they i would say dressed below how normally i dress like ripped t-shirts and the sort of thing they were in line in front of us and and they had every right to be seated first they got there first but this feeling of indignation that how dare these people who aren't respecting the social you know, expectations of this space be, and it wasn't, it's not like I had this big, long drawn out thought about it. It was just this instinctual reaction yep. to like, how come they're getting better treatment when they're not, you know, they're obviously not as deserving. Sure. And it was a hideous thought, sure. but I'm just being honest. That but was my thought. That's your, and, and that this, we see this, like there's a reason we call it a power suit. Yeah. Right. There's a reason that, that, you know, we dress in certain ways. Um, I don't know if this is going to be the best use of my F-bombs, but I've heard a lot about like fuck me shoes, you know, that this idea of being powerful, mm. right? And that our clothes impact that. The, the cars we drive impact that. Different situations that make us feel powerful do that. So let me relate uh, a, a little story that I like, which is that there was a behavioral study done, and I love these behavioral studies, right? And I'm such a nerd. I, I read these things on my own time. Is that, and so they used it, uh, they usually have university students doing this, and you know, they get people from all different backgrounds, so people from wealthy families, people from uh, not-so-wealthy families. Um, but for the most part, you know, they, they are able to get to, to university in some way, shape, or form. And so they had them play Monopoly, right? Capitalist game, Right, very much uh, 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 part of that education. And but what they did is they put someone in a clear position of power. So let's say it's you and I uh, playing the game. You're in the position of power, right? So what that meant is that you get to roll two dice. I only get to roll one die. So you're obviously moving around the board a lot faster than I am. As well, when you passed go, you would get twice as much money as when I passed go. Right. So not only are you hitting go twice as often, you're getting twice as much money whenever you do, which is a way of inherently stacking the game against me for you. Right. And and then what they would do, and this is why I love these behavioral studies, <laughs> is that they, they can't just observe. They need some sort of empirical evidence about how do people you know, act, behave when they have this – they're in this position of power. So they put down a bowl of snacks in front of us and they make sure that it's something that you and I both equally enjoy. So if we both like chips, it'll be chips. If we both like pretzels, it'll be pretzels, right, whatever. But they put this bowl of snacks between us right in the middle. And then they measure who eats more. <laughs> and the behavior is hilarious because, you know, you can you just know right away that when you're in this position of power, when you are winning Monopoly, right, and it is clear that you own more properties and that they are landing on your hotels and you're going to win this game, <laughs> right, the people that were in that inherent position of power would 
all the time, without fail, eat more of those snacks. In some cases, they would grab the bowl and like bring it closer to them and like <laughs> hold it and just kind of like eat it, you know, in the other person's face. Um, which is, is to me, it just shows that even regardless of whether it was someone from, you know, a low income background that was put in that position of power, they still behaved, behaved the same way. Now, this is, this is, you know, from there, start to understand that there are so many expressions of our power um, that when it comes to uniforms, and we can talk about, you know, police and, and the situation that, that, that a lot of uh, um, uh, citizens find themselves in, intimidated by police. We can talk about this idea of, of white privilege, of male privilege, all these different aspects that when we are in that position of power, it's not a conscious decision. Right? You're not going to say, oh, well, I'm beating Tim, so I consciously – I deserve more of these chips. When you're in that restaurant, right, it wasn't like you were making that you know, asshole decision that I deserve better treatment than these poorly dressed slobs. Well, and, and further than that, the second I would realized my, my own thought, I felt very embarrassed in my own head that but I thought it too. It. But I still had it. That's and the most, point. Exactly. Yeah. And most people aren't going to recognize that we have these thoughts. It's just this is the whole idea of unconscious bias. Mm. Right now, there is a, a way that I've been learning to to sort of speak about privilege. That let me try it out. Mm. It's listeners, please forgive me. It's still a little bit of a work in progress. Mm. But um, basically, there's the the language I'm using to describe it now is using headwinds and tailwinds. So you know, think about it. You're going for a run, or you're on your bike, right? And and this the feeling when there's a headwind against you. When you're just biking, you're running into that wind, it is a grind. It is draining. It feels horrible. And you feel it every second of that headwind, right? And if anything, if, even if it's the same wind, it feels harder over time as you get more tired, right? So it's a grind versus when you have a tailwind, when the wind is at your back. And think about the times you've been running and you've been cycling and the wind is at your back, right? And you get that wee, right? Like, ooh. But what happens is that very quickly, that tailwind actually normalizes. Mm. And within about 30 seconds, you don't even notice it anymore. Instead, you just get this feeling of like, hell yeah, I am cruising. You know, I, I had my, my good breakfast this morning and <laughs> I, my workouts are paying off because, wow, I am just making great time and it is all me. I'm going to Instagram about this bike ride later. Right. <laughs> and you – but we, we adapt so quickly to our tailwinds. Mm. And so what it means is that if you're used to driving a BMW or if you're used to driving an, uh, a Ford F-150 or one of these big vehicles – Right, where you're put into this position of power, that actually, that feeling of power becomes your norm. And that all of a sudden, even just when that tailwind lessens, it starts to feel like a headwind. It starts to feel a little bit oppressive. Where now all of a sudden, where we're saying, oh, we're going to take away that lane of parking, right? And, and we're going to put in these bike lanes. All of a sudden now, even though you've had this tailwind, just a little bit less of a tailwind starts to feel like, oh, wow, I'm now grinding again. And, and so I use this kind of, you know, headwind and tailwind analogy just because I think that, you know, I can speak for myself. I come from such this sort of privileged position that, you know, oftentimes I kind of have to check it a little bit and recognize, oh, that's the tailwind. Yeah, that's what that is. 
right? And that I think it's the same thing when when it comes to this this uh, uh, relationship between cyclists and between car drivers. I think as cyclists, we we're used to feeling that headwind, right? Both literally and figuratively. <laughs> Right. But where it's this type of situation where we're used to having to have our heads on a swivel and make sure and check and double check and watch out for a door prize. That's always kind of a concern. We're sort of used to that being in that position of of powerlessness. At the same time, cars are used to being in that position of power. And I think what we need to understand is that there are going to be these behavioral aspects that kick in without thinking about it. It's not like you're a bad person if you get road rage. You might be. It just right? doesn't mean you it are. It doesn't – exactly. Yeah. You might be. It doesn't <laughs> – even good people, you know, get, get road rage. And because when we feel those headwinds, when we feel other people's power infringing upon our own and we are forced to be in that situation of, of sort of weaker, that, that that, you know, it really sucks. Yeah, and and obviously we're going to have those very real human emotions. Yeah, and I think and this sort of plays off what you were saying, but I was actually just going to read uh, a clip from the article that I think very much uh, outlines what you were just talking about. So this is this is from the article, but the article is quoting the peer-reviewed work, the PhD thesis. So this is this is indirectly from the thesis. While the physical bodywork of a car essentially uh, anonymizes drivers, bicyclists are visible in a variety of shapes, sizes, ages, genders, and racialized bodies. Uh, drivers have shown bias in yielding behavior by the race, apparent disabled status, or age of a crossing pedestrian. Uh, see the tree hugger don't cross street while black study. Yeah. Uh, while drivers in the higher status cars were less likely to yield to pedestrian, uh, when interacting with bicyclists, drivers used greater passing distance when the bicyclist was unhelmeted and appeared female. Uh, so there's one of the, there's sort of multiple things going on there that it's talking about. One yeah. of it's talking about is that this is an, an, uh, obviously, you know, issues of privilege and race and gender, uh, you know, permeate everywhere. They, there's Absolutely. nowhere they can be said not to permeate. Uh, but it's just sort of another highlight example of why those types of biases are so important because, you know, in other cases, not to not to try and value say this is more important than that but you know in other cases where it has to do with your job it has to do with your livelihood that's a very serious problem uh but this in this case we're talking about someone being hit by a car and dying right, right. so it's it's of I, I think a different type of concern and and i think that that should be distinct in that sense not sort of rated but totally. we need to make a categorical difference that you know here's another area where these types of biases aren't just about headwinds and tailwinds but are about life and death based on those assumptions and so that's why i think this is very very important to talk about and i think it's very very important about yet another example about why we can never not uh, ever mentioned sort of race, gender, and, right. and all these types of things because it Absolutely. does permeate every topic, you know. And I would say that there's it's it's unfortunate because it's it's kind of like this this positive feedback loop, right? Where it's like when you have some power and then it's easier to get more power, and you know, same thing with wealth. Like wealth accumulates, you know, people in poverty. If you owe money, well, you're paying debt on that money. The hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. If you're wealthy, you have money, you invest that money. Right. The, the portfolio size gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the same thing with a lot of these power dynamics. And, you know, it's it, it kind of reminds me of a lot of the games that we play. And the reason I bring up games is so much of this behavioral science is based on game theory. And, you know, I think games are a really interesting expression of, of how society works. And, you know, it reminds me when I was in high school, we play a game called Asshole. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I know it. It, you know it. Yeah. And so the way it works is, you know, we play and then whoever wins gets the two best cards from whoever is the asshole who came in last place, which makes it they were already in a hole because they lost the last game. They're now in a deeper hole, whereas, you know, the president kind of self 
uh, perpetuates because you know they were they won the last game and they're now even in an even stronger position this game. Yeah, and it's just really unfortunate to me that the it seems that the default setting of our system is is to extend this power gap. Um, and that people who have who are marginalized for a multitude of reasons get ever further marginalized, whereas the people who have the power, right, and um, uh, are in this position where they can then grab, they have the opportunity to grab even more power, right, right, and I think that that's a lot of the psychology that we see playing out on the streets. Yeah. And I think this is, and we're just rolling up on 20 minutes. So I think this is a good place to wrap it up, but just to sort of do, to make one more comment about your, I think really interesting example there of the, the game asshole or president is another, when the teachers were around, we called it president. Yeah. I feel bad. Around, we call, we it, call it janitor. And I always is felt that, bad oh, for that. That name, is kind of bad. Yeah. <laughs> I was never a fan of that. I prefer no. asshole. Uh, but the, one of the other things there too, is that people would say, well, this, you know, and, and my sarcastic comment in my head, as you were saying that was, oh, you know, if that was, if, if I was in high school today, I would call it capitalism. Right. But what's interesting there right. immediately what I realized was that actually no because that system is actually still infinitely more fair than our current capitalist system because there's a limit on how much of an advantage that the even the most advantaged can be that doesn't that doesn't eliminate the possibility of the person who came in last like one of the things I remember was we play that game all the time and one of the thrills of that game was being in last place and then going straight totally. to first place because you just totally. got awesome cards and you played well right and and in re- in real life IRL that doesn't happen you know the guy the guy who got you know robbed by some bank person who sold them a bad loan isn't going to win the lottery next week and, and take all his money back. You know what I mean? In almost all cases, whereas it was quite common in that game. So that that's game, the hope. as unfair dream. as it is, was still infinitely more fair than our actual economic system. But this is why so many poor people vote against you know, tax increases on the rich. Yep. Because so many people who are in that position of asshole, right? they believe that they're going to get that hand and that they're going to make that and that that very soon one day they're going to be president and that they're going to be benefiting from those policies. So it's a fascinating psychology there. I'm not sure if we should encourage the game at a school level and just educate better around it or ban the game because it seems to be promoting <laughs> some some bad ideas here. I don't know, one way or the other. With, out, out of context. Should, yeah, kids should play Euchre instead. Yeah. <laughs> Such a better... <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Tim, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show with me. And thank you so much for giving me so much of your time sticking around here for almost a a full 20 minutes uh, for the bonus show. So thanks again. My pleasure. All right. Take care of everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you real soon.